Hi, thanks for joining us on the WAN Manager Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bryan. And if you have not heard the show before, we are always focused on some aspect of corporate wide area networking. But sometimes we talk with outside vendors or WAN managers, and sometimes we talk with our in-house subject matter experts here at Telegeography. So this is another episode that's going to take a deep dive on a particular telegeography coverage area, in this case, specifically our cloud and WAN infrastructure research, which covers the physical geography and product infrastructure for both cloud providers and multinational corporate network providers, and tries to help vendors and buyers understand why the geographic data around the physical locations of cloud providers and network providers is so important to fully understanding the WAN. So to help us do that, I have invited my colleague, Patrick Christian, who's a principal analyst at Telegeography and heads up that project. But as usual, before we get to the interview, I want to take a deep dive on some relevant Telegeography data. So at Telegeography, we often like to say that we offer real metrics, not opinions. Now, I can't guarantee that there will be no opinions in this podcast, but I can guarantee that there's going to be some real metrics. So before I start my conversation with Patrick, I'm going to go look at some data from our WAN manager survey in 2019 that asked IT infrastructure managers from multinational corporations around the world about their cloud usage and WANs. So if you haven't heard previous episodes, we survey WAN managers, uh, specifically the folks making the day-to-day decisions about corporate networks from large multinational enterprises. Uh, And we ask them questions to help us understand the WAN landscape and especially how it's going to be changing in the coming years. So this is my important note here. If you are a WAN or manager or IT infrastructure manager, we definitely want to hear from you. If you go to the show notes from this episode, you can find a link to the survey there. And if it is not yet, say, the end of quarter three in 2020, we still need your response uh, and we'd love to hear from you. In exchange for taking the 15 or 20 minutes uh, it will take you to fill out that survey, we will give you free access to the full final report and a $10 Starbucks gift card. And yes, we have confirmed you can use that online, I think, in, in most situations. Okay, so uh, before we get to the interview, like I said, let's look at some data. So first, we asked about infrastructure as a service, and here's what we found. So about three in four enterprises reported having more than one IaaS partner. Uh, Azure and AWS, if you are familiar with this world, were by far the most commonly cited. That should come as no surprise. 60% of our respondents reported that they were using both of those cloud service providers. We also asked about data center location and strategy and found that about 85% of respondents, so overwhelming majority, had more than two data centers uh, and nearly half were somewhere between three and six. We had some outliers with a lot more than that, but uh, the the large bulk of respondents fell uh, in, in the sort of two to six data center range. About one in three of our respondents had some mix of private off-premises and on-premises data centers. 
and about one in four had a mix of on-premises with neutral facilities or private cloud. So very few, only one in 10, still had all of their data centers uh, fully on-premises. So clearly the, the migration has happened to uh, you know getting out of um, having your data centers on a corporate-owned site. So finally, we talked about how they connect to their cloud providers. And a solid majority here, about 70%, had some kind of direct connect, either from a network service provider or a cloud service provider. Uh, they uh, could choose multiple options, as most enterprises that we talked to did have multiple connections to their cloud providers. Um, uh, a majority also, 60%, um, had some kind of IPsec connections in some cases. Uh, and only 15% were using a cloud exchange. I'm going to ask Patrick about that and, um, and see maybe why those numbers are so low. So that's it for the data. And now I'd like to get to the interview and welcome Patrick. Okay, so we have Patrick Christian, who is, what are you uh, called, Principal Analyst? Uh, yes, I'm Principal Analyst. There we go, Patrick Christian, Principal Analyst at Telegeography. And uh, Patrick, we've been working together more than a decade, but I think it would be useful for you to introduce yourself to the audience and um, especially maybe explain a little bit um, about what the Cloud and WAN infrastructure product, that is what we're really pulling from today, is all about. Great. Okay. Well, yes, I'm Patrick. And let's see, I have been at TG for a decade or maybe two. I guess I've, <laughs> I've been there for more than a decade. So you've been there for, for two, I think. Yeah. 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 Nobody's counting though, but I guess I yeah. like it. Um, I work on uh, the wholesale and infrastructure analysis side of TG, um, where I head up the cloud and WAN infrastructure uh, research service. Um, and recently, or in the last few years, my region of focus has been Africa or more geared towards Africa. So I, I may throw in a story or two about Africa as we go along today, because I, I knew that that would be coming. There's, there's never a conversation without Patrick, without Africa working its way in, but, uh, yeah. Yes. Interesting market. Love it. Love it. <laughs> yes. And, um, okay, as for CWI or Cloud and WAN Infrastructure. Um, it's the, the product formerly known as uh, the Global Enterprise Networks. So, but you've considerably changed it since, uh, since that, right? So. Right, right. Over the past, of course, uh, four or five years, we've seen the shift to a more of a cloud focus, uh, mirroring what we're seeing with the enterprises and with the network service providers shifting their focus. So we've been tracking that. And as the name of the service indicates, cloud connectivity and WAN services are what we're looking at. And specifically, we track the cloud service providers, the network service providers, and data center providers following where these cloud providers build out their data centers, on-ramps, and network in general. So we can focus on their network side, their network services, um, not necessarily, we're not looking at the SaaS, we're looking more infrastructure for service and all things network related to cloud providers, or most things <laughs> cloud, uh, network for cloud providers. Uh, mm -hmm. But we're also looking at the cloud providers themselves, or I'm sorry, the colo providers, 
who and where they're located and their cloud connectivity services um, and how they help you connect um, to cloud and to other network service providers. And finally, we also focus on the network service providers and how they connect as well, help you connect to cloud and the data centers and the WAN services that they offer to kind of connect all of these things together. Right. So as they say, often a, a whole ecosystem, not just one part of it, right? Correcto. The whole ecosystem. Indeed. Do we do we get extra credit for uh, sort of industry speak like that? <laughs> sure. One point for you. <laughs> All right. So, Patrick, I wanted to start uh, with with one part of that ecosystem that you mentioned, the, the data centers. And, and uh, in the introductory section, I was talking about some data we have from the WAN Manager Survey. I brought up uh, data center migration, um, which is maybe starting at a kind of basic level. But I had looked at how uh, only one in 10 enterprises still has all of their data centers on premises, and most have some mix of on and off premises, whether it's uh, private, neutral, private cloud, um, whatever kind of off premises situation. So I was wondering if you could talk about the reasons enterprises have moved away from on premises data centers and kind of what options uh, they have once they decide to make a move away from that. Yeah. Okay. Well, beyond the economics of mig migrating off-prem, the simplifying of operations and operating expenses, et cetera, scalability, et cetera, et cetera, um, I think the connectivity aspect of carrier-neutral um, colo sites is a major factor in the move mm -hmm. off-prem. Um, right. You're at best going to have a, a couple of providers maybe who have pulled wires to your corporate building, but uh, every provider in the region has pulled wires to a neutral facility, right? So. Exactly. Especially the, yeah, the carrier neutral colo sites, all of a sudden you're connected to, uh, like we were saying before, a vast ecosystem of yes. providers. And let's see, building out these pops there in these locations, like I was saying, uh, gives more access to these ecosystems, both on the network side, of course, and on, um, on the cloud side. And on the network side, if it's carrier neutral, access to these multiple network service providers help helps break or is helping to break the historic cycle of single vendors and uh, access to, you know, single or now more access to single um, cloud service providers. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it kind of opens the doors to multiple vendors and, and much easier um, access. And I think very often, although we're, we're focusing on the economic side, um, it's really the connectivity that um, is a very important aspect of this. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I often am focused more on the economic side since I have my roots in pricing analysis and benchmarks, but that makes a lot of sense. So that's that's why it's so good to do this and bring the uh, the infrastructure side of telegeography in as well. All right. So uh, speaking of infrastructure, then, um, if, we're, if we're looking at infrastructure as a service um, uh, in our opening data section, I talked about um, IAS providers. And, and of course, most of our enterprise respondents are using Azure and AWS, usually both. Um, but yeah, quite a few other providers mixed in there in, in much smaller amounts. 
Um, so one of the things that you track in CWI that I wanted to talk about is, is where physically these types of providers are located. So I thought maybe you could just talk about what, what is the global geographic distribution of, of cloud slash infrastructure as a service providers and, and why should enterprise when IT infrastructure managers care about that? Right. Okay. Well, the, the easy answer first to the uh, second part, I think, of your question is the easy answer to why geography moder- matters is when we're talking about latency and the service or app cloud service performance, et cetera, uh, mm-hmm. geography, of course, is very important for your network design. You need your services close to your customers, your suppliers, your users. Um, so, of course, you want these services uh, running a cloud data center the closest to whoever is using that service. So. But wait, uh, I thought everything moved at the speed of light anyway, right? So yeah. If, you, if, you're, if you're ever talking to a layperson, that's a, that was, but, but it all moves at the speed of light. What difference does it make? Right. But how far is that light going? So, yes. We, and, uh, and if you look at the, and the important factor about all these cloud data centers, of course, is that, um, you know, if, if it's not a big problem, if your company and customers, et cetera, are located in the U.S., Western Europe, or um, major markets mm-hmm. in East Asia, mm-hmm. Singapore, Japan, China, Korea, Australia, et cetera. If you're located there, great. Then you have you don't have a problem with distance at all, with latency. Everything is there. You have uh, very close access. But um, when you're further, when you have sites that are or um, further afield, mm-hmm. um, for example, you know, in um, Latin America, America <laughs> Middle East, and my fave, Africa, yeah. yeah, especially Africa, I have to say. Um, then latency and distance um, becomes an issue, okay? Right. And we see the, uh, the major uh, hyperscalers or cloud providers, AWS, Microsoft, and Google, where have they been building out, like we were saying, in these locations? Of course, you're going to build out first in developed markets where you have um, a lot of customers, et cetera. So um, tracking the geography um, when the first cloud data centers came online in mid 2000s, 2006, like AWS, of course, mm-hmm. they showed up first in US, Western Europe, and then, for example, like Singapore. Okay. And now, uh, 14, 15 years later, um, where are most of these data centers? Still in the same location. Yeah. Yes. yeah. yeah it's, I like that setup, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and where it, it, it isn't very diverse in the sense they're all, going to the same markets. The only maybe outlier is somebody like Alibaba, who, of course, they're focused on on Asia, China. Um, They've built out, of course, more in Asia. So uh, they have a more dense network, but still um, focused on the, you know, China, of course, where their main market is. But looking at like Singapore, Korea, et cetera, not building out to until more recently, like Indonesia, um, Philippines, et cetera. I mean, even major markets. Uh, so going back to before I, I headed up our sort of enterprise focused research, I was our Latin American analyst. And uh, it was very much the case then, and it would be confusing to people. But if you're sitting in uh, your office in Sao Paulo and you sent an email to somebody on the other side of Sao Paulo, it would probably go through Miami, right? <laughs> so yeah. that is yeah. not the case anymore so much. But um, back, you know, eight or so years ago, it was it was almost certainly doing that. But surprisingly, it may still do that in some cases. Yeah, sure. It it is moving, and this is the same in Africa. In in Latin America, of course, 
a lot of uh, transit, a lot of traffic uh, routes through Miami, specifically mm -hmm. the U.S. Um, uh, but there have been actually uh, cloud data centers, first with AWS and then Microsoft, building out in Sao Paulo, of course. Uh, that's the first place. But um, and now Google, except for Google, who went to uh, to Chile for some reason first, right? Well, yeah, that was that wasn't one of their cloud data centers, but it was one of their data right. centers. But um, uh, they're in Sao Paulo too. But since they first started showing up in you know around 2010, 2011, it's only been Brazil, and it's only been recently where um, cloud data centers. Well, they're they're not online yet, but um, we're seeing in Chile. And then possibly we'll see Argentina and, and Colombia in the ne in the upcoming years, but uh, so still another ten years where yes they were in Latin America but really just out of um, Sao Paulo, and we right. see the, we see the same thing in Africa as well in in general in terms of traffic uh, and routing of traffic etc. We see Africa is probably a couple of years behind behind air quotes. Mm -hmm behind um, Latin America in terms of uh, they route most of their traffic and most content has historically been in Europe. So you see a lot of traffic, you know, going back up to Europe before it comes down to Africa. But in the last, well, about a year and a half ago, Microsoft opened its first uh, couple of cloud data centers in South Africa, and then AWS recently launched as well. So once we see those two, we'll probably see more of the cloud providers uh, opening up. Following them. Yeah. But the upshot is that if if you're using a latency sensitive application and you're not sitting in a few spots in, in East Asia, Western Europe, North America, you would basically have more trouble using that app until you have a, a sort of migration um, toward uh, toward a data center in that region. That's the main issue. Correct. Correct. Non-static content. Of course, you're going to have CDN's help. Uh, right. But, right. Um, you'll, yes, you'll have latency. And it's basically from halfway down Africa, say to Nigeria level, you have 100, 150 milliseconds easy up to Europe. So you imagine if you're in South Africa, it's a little bit longer, distance is longer, uh, or there's more distance. So in general, all over Africa, before South Africa um, had their data centers, yeah, you're looking at mm -hmm. 200 milliseconds of latency anywhere. But now, th and this is where I get uh, a little bit confused on this maybe even still but um it also affects the economics right because if if i'm purchasing dia from an enterprise services provider and my traffic profile is constantly tromboning between johannesburg and marseille or or rio and miami then my my cost per bit is going to go up because my provider has to transit more traffic uh than than if i was able to just hit my cloud provider locally right right exactly and I think, of course, in general, this is why you haven't seen um, a lot of the OTTs or the content providers or cloud providers move quickly into some of these areas like the Middle East, Africa, et cetera, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. um, pricing is still very high. Right. Well, on the right. OTT yeah, and they... as well as on the right. So, but we're seeing prices it, as, you know, the world is more interconnected. You have more sub cables going in, et cetera. Um, prices are starting to drop, and and we've seen significant drops. And another side of this too is the more the con when the content providers start building out their own um, some cables, or when they are present, just the fact that they're there will start to lower local pricing for, for example, um, transit, etc. 
Right, right. So even if it's not your cloud provider, so so for example, Google was a pretty infrequently cited um, infrastructure as a service provider, but if Google builds a giant cable, uh, that that ultimately has the effect of lowering the the cost per bit for Azure and AWS anyway, right? So correct, correct, and the ISPs and you know the, mm-hmm. the whole ecosystem. Right. Yes, indeed. All right. So I want to focus in on on some specific terms of art because this is another area where sometimes I, I want to make sure that I know what I'm talking about when it comes up. But um, uh, in in CWI and in the cloud world, there's there's these geographic terms like uh, regions, zones, on ramps. Uh, can you take us through those key terms of art and maybe exactly what they actually mean? Sure, sure. Yeah, the most common um, terms we hear are the regions, uh, zones, or availability zones, and on-ramps. Regions are generally territories, and generally, actually, they're metro areas, but they're called regions. Hmm. uh, Mm They're made up of one or multiple zones. And zones, really, you can think of as just an individual cloud data center, although maybe it's multiple Okay. Or, for example, on the same campus, et cetera, but uh, a zone. Like Ashburn would be a zone, basically. So. Yeah, or you could have multiple zones. Or would in that Ash- be a region? Yeah, sorry. See, that's why it's confusing. Right. So, right. Yeah. A little bit overlapping, definitely. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, the availability zones, like I was saying, are typically, typically consist of one or maybe uh, a, a couple uh, data centers, usually on mm-hmm. a campus. And then these are the data centers that are usually built off on their own where um, for all the cloud services, et cetera. And then the on-ramps are actually the points of interconnection between the enterprises and the cloud service providers. So where they have their gotcha. edge routers and you have your edge routers and you connect. And then this we also look at the POPs and CDM POPs as well, which is kind of another extension of, of the cloud, um, cloud service provider networks. Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and and that's what folks will see in uh, sort of different layers of our maps of this stuff. So Correct. it's useful to know what you're looking at. So so specifically about on ramps, then um, we also in our WAN manager survey asked about uh, the ways that um, enterprise respondents were were connecting to the cloud. So I cited some data in in the start about those different connection methods. Most had some kind of direct connect, uh, whether through a cloud or a, a network service provider, and most also had some kind of IPsec connections for some of their uh, cloud connectivity. Uh, just wondering if you could take us through what the various options are and and how they're different, um, uh, sort of uh, a- as you cover them in CWI. Sure, and actually, I'll kind of make reference to um, the WAN Manager Survey as well because um, it's interesting to look at this. Please do always, yes. The, the WAN Manager Survey for me is interesting because you're taking it from the point of view from of the WAN managers, but on the and CWI, of course, we're talking to more the provider side. So it's interesting right. to see how the two um, connect or um, reflect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so starting off from when managed survey, I kind of looked at the, the, the different, the co- most common ways to connect to the cloud in the WAN manager survey, um, the most common 70% of WAN managers indicated that they access the cloud via, as you were saying, dedicated connections. These are the direct connects, express route, Google interconnect, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. actually it was, I was in, uh, surprised that it was higher than just basic internet, but that was the top one. And then right. not too far behind was IPsec, VPN, 
You have the more legacy kind of integrating into your network. It's the historic way to connect your sites. So um, on your VPN, um, the cloud uh, service provider network is a site on your VPN. Um, that's a very mm -hmm. common way to connect. Uh, so that was like in number two. And then number three was internet, about 40%, just basic internet. And usually if you connect via internet, well, we can talk about a little bit more about that later, but it's for certain applications, et cetera. Yeah, I always think of, of you know, local internet breakouts as mainly being for like SaaS applications that were born on the best efforts internet. And, and so they Correct. work that way. Whereas, uh, where, whereas that question, I think, was specifically about in, uh, infrastructure as a service, but those categories can bleed into each other, too, in some right. cases. Maybe, yeah. that, maybe that's the reason that it drops down to the third or fourth most. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And then actually at about the same level as peering. Um, you see a lot more peering, either peering directly or peering through um, an enterprise peering directly with the cloud service provider or peering via a carrier. Um, mm -hmm. And then the lowest, which I was a little bit surprised at, was um, uh, something like 15% was cloud exchanges. So this right. is what you connect right. You have in an exchange, usually like a, an Equinix or some kind of carrier neutral colo facility where mm -hmm. you to the the switch and it's like one connection to many cloud providers well that is maybe the newest type uh on that list right so that the, there may just be a um you know early adopter hasn't spread yet effect there perhaps yeah possibly but i think it's at the same time as with the express or with the dedicated connection Direct, as well. yeah mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. we can go into that a little bit um a little bit more but I, what I, I'll just like talk about them in the same order of their importance according to uh, the WAM manager survey. Yeah, that, that uh, makes sense. So for the dedicated interconnect, like we were saying, is the uh, the direct connect, express uh, Google interconnect. Usually what we're seeing here is this is a high, ba uh, high bandwidth private link connecting enterprise network directly to the CSP network. So you're bypassing public internet and... You know, usually this is when you uh, enterprises require high capacity connections, you usually have a high volume of data transfer storage and often, of course, during cloud migration, but also with maybe also talking about more secure movement of your sensitive data, et cetera, mm -hmm. um, less exposure. Um, and, but also, as we've seen a lot of development in the last year or two, is this also is more helpful for the hybrid cloud uh, network um, architectures that you're you're connecting your on-premise um, data center with the cloud data centers, et cetera. So right, right. Of, of course, the pros of this uh, type of connection is, you know, compared to the internet, it allows higher throughput and, and compared to VPN as well, lower latency, better performance, et cetera. And you also benefit from lower um, data transfer uh, prices than via the public internet. I was, I was going to say, obviously, MPLS is going to be the the priciest option, right? Um, uh, this is kind of kind of analogous to, to getting your own wavelength between two high traffic offices rather than having a giant MPLS port at those offices, for, for example. Right, right. And you can either set it up your enterprise connecting directly with the CSP, with the cloud service provider, or you can work through one of their a partner, an NSP, a network service provider, um, and in this option, whereas usually if you connect directly to a cloud service provider, you can do uh, one gig or 10 gig. Whereas when you go through a, um, uh, a network service provider, then you can, everything yep. is this more granular, right? Exactly. They're offered the connectivity is more offered at, um, 
you know, anything from 50 meg up to 10 gigs or incremental. So you can right size your uh, connectivity, right? So. Exacto. Right, right. Yeah. And then the VPN connection, we kind of already talked about this briefly, is IPsec VP tunnel connecting your enterprise uh, to the CSP network across the internet. This, like I said, is more uh, kind of the more traditional setup. And, um, but I, some of the limitations there is just um, um, capacity. You're more limited in how much capacity um, or bandwidth you mm-hmm. have on mm-hmm. connections. Um, right. And yeah, there may be more issues with performance, et cetera, than, than your dedicated connection. And might be ultimately kind of supplanted by SD-WAN anyway, because usually if you have adopted SD-WAN, you're not any longer running like a specific IPsec service, if that makes sense. Right, right. Yeah, possible. We shall see. Mm-hmm. And then the internet, of course, is the is easiest way to connect to public cloud, of course, no additional network costs, et cetera, like you're saying, through breakouts, et cetera. But usually this... It depends on the type of um, um, services you're using. It, it's when standard internet connection is good enough to access, you know, the, your cloud services. Well, in the security too. So it's going to require right. some kind of Zscaler or some kind of zero trust thing where you're able to secure it at the point of the breakout rather than have things go through a, a DMZ at the data center or whatever the case may be, right? So. Correct. Correct. Okay. And then there's peering. And like I say, you can either have your direct peering or carrier peering. And this is where you're, you know, uh, direct peering, your, your connection between enterprise and CSP network, but the mm-hmm. enterprise must have an ASN. Usually, of course, the larger global enterprises have ASNs, but maybe uh, some of the smaller ones do not. Um, and if you don't have your own ASN, then, of course, you can go through uh, partner carrier peering. So you're using, you know, you're using their ASN. The, right. Carrier ASN. It's funny because uh, on the first uh, iteration of this podcast, we had Don uh, Lionel Marie from Schneider Electric yeah. talking about security. But in, in uh, many people know him as like one of the chief evangelists of of enterprise level peering and getting your ASNs so that you can you know peer rather than uh, do IP transit or you know. But it's it's I still haven't heard that many of his peers kind of going in that direction for, for whatever reasons. And I wonder if it's just a, a volume of traffic thing. Um, Schneider Electric maybe has has greater traffic loads than a lot of enterprises. I don't know. Right. Um, that is probably one aspect. It, 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 once again, it really depends on, on the company. Um, but it is, mm-hmm. it is I, I think it is uh, growing. Uh, you see it, it's more common. And I know because mm-hmm. I work a lot with the cloud service providers, and I know they're always pushing, pushing, pushing to as one of the connectivity options to to peer with them. Um, right. So I see, I've seen I'm seeing it more and more, and it's you know just a slow uptake, um, mm-hmm. but it is happening. And it's it's an option too because many of the uh, it's just one of many options because. Many of these companies will have will peer, but they'll also have direct connects as well. Oh yeah, yeah. So I should be clear in the WAM engine survey and the in the percentages that I mentioned at the top and that you mentioned in this conversation, this was a select all that apply, right? So it's not going to total one hundred. Many most right. most respondents were using uh, a couple few of these methods. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what we're seeing. So in the I guess the the great part about peering is. You know, there's no setup or maintenance costs, uh, and you do in many cases, most cases, you have d- discounted egress data transfer rates compared to the internet. 
Um, but I guess the one major con, I guess, is unlike the more the dedicated interconnect, something like that, is the connection, the way the connections are set up, it's more bilateral and uh, there's more routing management involved, which can become mm. burdensome and complicated. It depends mm-hmm. on the type of connection. And once again, the type of services you're using, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It mm. always depends. That's <laughs> as an analyst, that's always the right answer. Right? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and then last cloud, uh, is cloud exchange. In mm. with some of the companies that we've been working with that are kind of redesigning or designing their networks to be more cloud friendly, you hear a lot more questions about cloud exchange. It's always been there. And I mean, you know, basically it's internet exchange, but Instead of connecting to ISPs, you're connecting to cloud service providers. So it's you mm-hmm. know, the same thing. But I see like an internet exchange side, and I think I think this applies to the cloud side, is it's more of kind of the introductory way of, of uh, connecting mm. to cloud providers. Even though you can go up to usually 10 gig increments, you know, from 50 meg up to 10 gig, um, mm-hmm. you usually see um, enterprises starting off at lower levels and when you start getting significant traffic to, for example, one particular cloud service provider like Microsoft or AWS, mm-hmm. then what you'll do is you'll do a private private link, like a dedicated connection, and pull it off of the cloud exchange. So I see these connections as more kind of the lower the lower range in terms of traffic. Gotcha. Okay. I, I think I had that wrong then entirely, but that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of graduate to a, you know, a, a private connection. Um, mm-hmm. as your traffic grows, you want to pull it off of the, the switch. But so, yeah, you'll see, you'll see cloud exchange traffic, et cetera, change over time because, you know, it may be going up, especially if you see, once again, let's go to Africa. Um, <laughs> uh, you see on those exchanges, internet exchanges or cloud exchanges, once you get all the content providers on, it looks like traffic is growing like crazy. But then right. if you start setting up the private, the NNI, the private connections, the traffic comes off the exchange, so traffic drops again. So yeah, that you can't judge on the traffic, you know, how, you know, how good the exchange is working because when it's working very good, then you pull it off the exchange and you do a, a direct connect. So, right. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. And it, it is um, a dizzying array of, of things to keep track of. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you like the conversations that we're having on this podcast, I think you might be interested in a webinar that we're doing with our friends at Calero MDSL next month. So please join us on August 5th for a discussion about transforming your network with SD-WAN and specifically what that means for telecom expense management. So I will be there, and so will experts from the Calero MDSL team. And we're going to dig into how networks are evolving particularly with cost savings in mind. So I have no doubt that we'll talk about what is motivating people to switch to SD-WAN, what lessons they're learning, and some of the potential pitfalls for WIN managers to avoid. So I know we're going to get a little technical. We're going to talk about reportings on cost savings. We're going to get into the weeds. Uh, I like the sound of that. So if you do too, please join us. We put a registration link in today's show notes. And we'll also be writing about this one on the Teledrography blog, so hopefully it should be super easy to find uh, the sign-up for this event and do so. So if you can't make it on August 5th, no worries, sign up anyway. We'll make sure that we get you access to the recording and send you any related content that might be of interest. So I hope to see everybody there.
So, of course, uh, I had you on to talk about cloud and WAN infrastructure. We've really only talked about cloud for the most part so far. Um, so on the WAN part, uh, first, kind of just what um, what does CWI cover? And then secondly, what are the, the sort of trends in WAN infrastructure? Again, I talk a lot about pricing more. Um, but uh, but I'm wondering if you can talk more about the the physical infrastructure side of the WAN here. Right, and let's see. Looking, if we go back to our historic roots, uh... please. Yes, I have to say for the audience, I I, I um, left Patrick with a with a mess, which was called the Global Enterprise Network product, and then passed it to him to make it much better. So so this is getting back to some of the stuff that I I came up with like seven or eight years ago. So. Right. And, and networks have been evolving. And of course, with cloud, networks have been, have been evolving towards cloud. So now your your standard WAN services, you know, are, you know, same thing as your cloud connectivity uh, mm-hmm. uh, services. But if we just focus on the, the kind of traditional WAN services, what we what we look at is and what we track are the network service providers themselves. Right. And and the traditional WAN services. So. Uh, we track where regional and global carriers offer um, the services like MPLS or VPN, uh, DIA, private line services. Um, but really what we're looking at is offering these WAN services to connect now more often. Instead of just sites, we're looking at connecting POPs. Okay, right. So when we look at the traditional WAN services, now we're, we're really looking at how the POPs are connected and what services are being run over these POPs. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, we look at uh, the POPs are usually carrier neutral um, uh, colo sites or IXs with a variety, like we were saying before, the variety of network service providers um, and the, who offers those WAN services where and where they're placed, et cetera. But for trends, we see, of course, on the, on the carrier side, you know, the same thing that you're seeing in your WAN manager survey or what the WAN managers are talking about, that, you know, the MPLS, the VPN services um, are... Are still the most ubiquitous, no matter you know what we say with SD WAN, mm-hmm. etc. More focusing on DIA broadband, etc. Um, still, there is MPLS services are still offered pretty much everywhere. And I think in your survey, the uh, the WAN manager survey, only five percent of enterprises had no sites with MPLS. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was, I mean, it's still by far, I think uh, the breakout was like 70, the average of all of the respondents, about 70% of their sites are running MPLS, meaning they have to get to one of these pops you're talking about, whereas only like 30 some odd percent are running DIA and, and only 20 some odd percent running broadband still. So obviously that's changing. Uh, it's going to be very different uh, over the next few years, but that that is where things were over the last couple of years. Right, and that's exactly what we see. And of course, when we're talking about CWI, we're talking about from the the network service provider perspective. So these are the services being offered to the, you know, the enterprise, the WAN managers, etc. So um, yeah, makes- there's there's recursive relationship there, right? So they have they have MPLS available as a service in more places, and uh, enterprises use that as a service in more places. So, but um, but in on both on both ends of that, the the they're changing, right? So. Correct, correct. And, and of course, you know, now what we've seen a lot is more the growth of DIA, you know, broadband, etc. And, it, you know, very similar to, to what we see uh, on the WAN manager side, of course. But uh, like I said, as these networks have been growing and cloud, you know, and as 
your on-prem data centers are kind of migrating into the carrier neutral or uh, colo facilities or your um, apps, et cetera, moving to cloud, you know, the big shift, of course, that we're seeing is that these carriers who have traditionally focused on WAN service, MPLS, et cetera, are repositioning themselves as, as cloud connectors, okay? Right. And now we see right. that in, this is how they market themselves as, you know, we will connect you to the cloud. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And so what we do is what, and what we're looking at is in what the network service providers doing are focusing on the service and deployments to facilitate this connecting to enterprise cloud. Um, of course, they want to make themselves or continue to make themselves the vital link between the enterprise and cloud service providers. Whereas as time passes, we're seeing um, cloud service providers as they build out their networks and as they build out more services on their own networks, we see cloud service providers you know, beginning to offer uh, their own services. You can run your VPN or your WAN on their networks or parts of your network over their right. network through you know, virtual WAN, like Microsoft Virtual WAN, or global reach. You can uh, uh, have traffic moving between two POPs in different regions, um, mm-hmm. or Google Transit, basically using their networks more and more um, to... Because they yeah. own huge pipes between all of these places already, so why right. not break exactly. some bulk, right? Yeah. Capacity, um, it offers, they can charge you for it and, you know, guarantee the service, you know, SLAs, et cetera. It's, um, uh, this is what we're, so we're seeing on the, on the cloud side and the network service providers, of course, are, are, uh, you know, trying to remain as a vital link and, you know, at the regional and at the local level, of course, uh, those network service providers are always going to be important, but the interesting tip that we're seeing is more and more of the traditional carrier services, especially long haul, um, Mm -hmm. are being taken up by the cloud service providers. Right. So, so there's, there's always going to be a bottleneck in terms of who has actually pulled wires or lit service to your premises, Premise, um, right. but there's, but there's an increasing level of competition for the, the middle mile and the long haul, basically. The long haul aspect. Yeah, correct. Mm-hmm. Exactly. exactly. Got it. Um, and so then let's kind of orient that perhaps to, um, the, both the, the, how the telecom business uh, affects or trickles down, if you will, to the person who's making the sourcing decisions at a multinational corporation, not involved in the telecom business at all, right? right. Um, but, but, but there's a relationship between uh, the stuff that we've traditionally covered more at Telegeography, that wholesale um, uh, business on the telecom side with the actual enterprise networks. Can you maybe... Um, take us through that and, and explain what you think an enterprise infrastructure manager should understand about the, the business their providers are in, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, sure. And it's kind of easier for me since I've always worked on the wholesale side. So the right. really yes. network side. But um, it's basically very easy. The wholesale market, you know, when we're talking about the wholesale carrier, et cetera, the networks themselves is the underlay for the enterprise telecom market. So you know, it's the um, it's the network that underlays everything that the WAN rides on, of course. So, of course, this is critical for WAN managers um, to know about this, to know, for example, their network ser- uh, service provider networks themselves, and increasingly, like I mentioned, the cloud service provider networks as well, to understand um, 
basically how it affects their own um, enterprise network, traffic, costs, pricing, etc. Depending on where your underlay is or your network service provider, you know, your global provider, where it is, will kind of um, dictate how your traffic is going to move and mm -hmm. where potential problems may be. Um, so, you know, and it's, it's in one example of this is of how this can affect um, your network is in, it's not so uncommon, even though it is becoming less common. Um, you know, for a company to rely on a single global WAN provider, and if we use the the region, you know, my fave, uh, Africa, uh, we we see this, but it doesn't only happen in Africa; it happens everywhere. Where you have a, a single uh, global WAN provider, maybe you have one or two regional ones, but you're using mm -hmm. one for your uh, global global side, and that provider may only have capacity on, say, for example, a single sub cable. Okay. Right. Right. And we know that that's how all you know capacity or traffic and content is moved around on the internet or on the pipes around the world is through sub cables. And yeah. if you have your capacity on a single sub cable and that cable goes down, you your your network You're will feel well. Yes. Yeah. 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 And in places like Africa and places like parts of South um, South America or Latin America, especially on the um, uh, west side yet you don't have a great number of 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 cables like in, mm -hmm. in west africa especially well the northern part you have five cables but um when you get down the southern part you only have three that make it all the way down on that right. side uh and there are the major cables like ace and wax and the old cable sat three well first quarter of this year um there were fart faults on all three and mm -hmm. set two faults within a few months and providers that had all their capacity on one of those cables, hopefully they had something to reroute. And if they rerouted very often, it was to go around the opposite side of Africa. So then you're looking at instead of 100, 150 milliseconds of latency, you're looking at, you know, at least 400 oh, milliseconds right. of latency, something like that. And if they have connectivity at all, because you could just lose, um, mm -hmm. um, you know, connectivity completely. But we also saw this, a Thousand Eyes had the example of, um, I think a provider that this was talking about Google's network and Google's network has changed since then, of course. But at this point, I think there was a pop in Middle East and a pop in, in India, where if you look at the map, the distance is not very far, you know, it should uh, right. be milliseconds of latency if you send traffic from one pop to the other pop. But it depends on which cable you're on and how it gets routed there. Right? So. Exactly. But what happened was they had no capacity between those two areas. So instead of that, you know, a couple hundred kilometer um, distance, it would reroute the traffic all the way around the world to come at it from right. um, East Asia in this, you know, so then your your latencies go from 20 to 50 milliseconds to three, 400 milliseconds. So these are, and, and we're seeing more and more um, WAN managers sensitized to this and and when they're redesigning or, or um, making their, you know, their networks more cloud friendly, uh, more and more interest in, in looking closely at your provider's network, the underlay itself, to see potential problems and try to build in, you know, redundancy, et cetera, by using multiple providers, et cetera. Mm -hmm. You just want to make sure that, uh, uh, to use the airline analogy, you don't have like a provider who's like going to make every flight that you get on go through Atlanta, right? Something right. like that. Right, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So um, I, I think I think you've kind of just touched on this, but I just wanted to see if, if you wanted to, to wrap up with 
coming from the perspective of uh, a WAN manager, which is, um, you know, sort of uh, this podcast is aimed at WAN managers and the, and the folks who sell them stuff. Um, uh, what are just the, the key takeaways um, that, that you think they should get out of CWI? And if I could frame it this way, I know that, uh, that you've done um, some consulting projects lately where we have customers, uh, usually our enterprise customers are interested in benchmarking, looking at their pricing. Um, but lately, they've also been interested in kind of um, uh, figuring out network topology based on these data. Could you maybe take us through... Um, without obviously any naming any names or specific networks, but but the kinds of things that those enterprise WAN managers have done with your data from CWI to to rethink the the way that they construct their WAN. Right. Yeah. Sure. Um, and this is kind of taking from what we were just talking about. Is okay. it's very important, of course, to keep an eye on the networks of of your providers, cloud providers, network service providers. Etc. Locations, latency, the connectivity providers—all these are very important factors. And what we've been seeing with um, some of these uh, more and more consulting projects, especially um, very lately, is that in redesigning their networks, um, what they need to see is by POP who is connected to the POP, and at different levels, like your connectivity providers, so all your NSPs, mm-hmm. what cloud providers are at each POP, um, and what, for example, services are offered at these POPs. And you're looking at WAN services too, which providers connect to these POPs and how they connect to those POPs. Right. So uh, they want all this information. And this is basically what we do. This is like the perfect consulting gig for this type of uh, uh, research service is um, we know everybody and this is what we track, who's there and what services they offer. So um, in, you know, and down, see- down to maybe like the, so if I have a big market, like I, I'm in North Virginia, so look at Ashburn. Well, there's, there's a lot of data centers to choose from in Ashburn. You, you would still want to choose wisely in terms of which NSPs and CSPs, if you will, were in each of those uh, facilities, like uh, that, that level yeah. of detail. Yes. Cause what we're doing is we're tracking down to the building level. So mm-hmm. You know, what we track and what the information we get from network service providers, cloud providers, et cetera, is down to the building level where they are located and where their edge routers are. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, and this is helpful when you're building out, you know, your new POP, or maybe you want to move to a POP that's better connected, um, or will you have, you know, a bigger ecosystems. Um, or, for example, if you're already working with certain partners, you want to find out where they are located to give you a range of um, uh, of locations that you can, you know, build out as pops. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of that, and we're we're also seeing, you know, a lot of this um, more um, this these larger ecosystems are more people connected, more you know, uh, providers connected to specific colo centers. Uh, you see more redundancy, et cetera. And you see, this is where, you know, everybody's moving. So you're moving from, you know, what you currently are to something like this. And we're seeing, um, like I said, down to the building level, uh, uh, who we can connect to. And also the important thing is on the cloud side, what type of connectivity you can have to these cloud service providers. And some of them are uh, some of these um, 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 enterprises. That's what they're looking at is, okay, I, I want uh, connectivity. I hear that there's bandwidth exchange at this site or an, an internet exchange. Yes, there is, but they have no on-ramp. So right. 
if you have needs of higher capacity, et cetera, then they may shift away from that site and move to another site that has more, you know, has the actual dedicated connection. But it's, it's, um, in, in also when we, one last thing, we're seeing more of a, a focus on in these rich ecosystems, we have a lot of, uh, network service providers there. You're seeing, uh, enterprises working with, uh, a larger number of, of network service providers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have your vendor lock-in where you're just working with one. So we right. see you have multiple regional, or at least two, but maybe more, regional providers. And then you have, um, by each region, and then you have your global providers, um, mm-hmm. and you have multiple global providers connect all your regions as well. Yeah, that's a that's definitely a trend we're seeing in, in talking with WAN managers. Not not that they're not still using, you know, maybe the big five enterprise services providers, but that it's a much more complicated mix, particularly well, if they've already gone to SD WAN. And so understanding how that complicated mix all meshes together seems more crucial than ever. Right. And and actually in uh in our most recent version of um of CWI, the Cloud and WAN Infrastructure um, Research Service, we've added this nifty new visual tool to kind of sit, uh, assist you um, to figure out all this this massive detail of, of providers and who's connected where, et cetera, into our, uh, a new map that's our, our cloud connectivity map. Um, if, and you may be familiar, and if you're not, you should check it out, uh, with our submarine cable map where we track Indeed. all submarine cables, where they connect, et cetera, all over the Submarinecablemap.com, just for anybody yeah. keeping track. Yeah. And um, we have the same thing with the cloud service providers as well, or the cloud networks and cloud map. So mm. a visual display of all of our data on cloud service providers, the regions, their on-ramps, and, um, and also the network service providers, how they provide connectivity, and, ha- and what types of services they provide connectivity between these POPs to CSPs and the colo providers where, where both the network service providers and the, cl- and the cloud service providers are located. All of this is on this map. And the, of course, the map is interactive and you can do searches by regions, by metros, or you can go, if you, if you already work with a certain network service provider, you can do searches through that network service provider and, and follow and look at their... Um, um, basically where they're deployed as well. So it's it's great to have all this data, but this is kind of a, a nifty visual tool to yeah. assist in sorting all this out. That is a data-rich map. That's exactly what we love at Telegeography. It's right there in the name. So yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, Patrick, um, I like to close out the show uh, in, in times such as these with asking people kind of what they they most miss. Um, during the uh, sort of um, pandemic times. But with you, I wanted to hazard a guess. I, I reckon you haven't been to Africa or Peru or Japan or any of the other. Uh, I, I, I'm a reluctant international traveler to some extent, but every time I talk to you, you're sitting in a different place. <laughs> is yeah, is yeah. that what you're uh, missing the most? Are you going crazy? Well, I enjoy to work remotely. I love that. But um, yeah. you know, it's, it's good to, I guess, maybe take a very short rest. Hopefully it's going to be on the shorter side rather than the longer side. Um, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. I, most, most countries aren't excited about having us Americans come there anytime soon, it seems right now. <laughs> I mean, that's the sad part of all the, yeah. you know, of course, conference side, no more conferences. But a, a funny, a strange kind of aside to this is uh, I do most of my calls you know, to, to Africa. So all my contacts in Africa, I've been doing nonstop 
Google Meet, Zoom, et cetera, et cetera. And a, kind of a, a, a weird shift or change in um, how we do these is usually we never do a, um, a meet with, um, uh, uh, with, vi- with video. It's always just right. voice. But it, almost all of the meetings now start off video. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. now, you know, I used to be whatever, t-shirt, hoodie, and getting ready for the meet. And then all of a sudden, uh, everybody has, you know, is on video. And I'm like, what? Uh, have to have the shirt tie to quickly get I, I, to go. I literally keep like a button-up shirt in my office here so I can toss it on whenever I have a call now. <laughs> so, exactly. If I'm talking to somebody Silicon Valley, t-shirt, hoodie, fine. If I'm talking right. to a really good company in Africa, shirt goes on. So, um, but, you know, and we're seeing, of course, we have a lot more meetings like this, a lot of calls like that. Um, uh, much more interactive that way. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I love, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Aspect of it. I think some of these changes will, will, will become permanent changes in our cultures. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Awesome. Well, Patrick, this was super fun. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule there. All right. Well, thanks for having me. I love talking about this. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening. The Wayne Manager podcast is brought to you by Telegeography, a division of Primetrica Incorporated, and is edited and produced by Jane Miller. I wrote the theme song you're listening to right now, and we get administrative canine support from my dog, Honeybun, who you might hear chiming in from time to time when the mood strikes her. If you want to learn more about our data, head over to telegeography.com where you can find our blog that covers many of the topics we hit here, and you can sign up for our WAN Manager newsletter. Until next time, have a great day.